John and Don from Radio to Real Estate. They made an offer for over asking price. We did amazing. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 140 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill. We're live from the shores of South Lake Union, and oh yeah, we have a brand new website. We want you to check it out because not only are we broadcasters, but we're also licensed agents at Windermere. Right? Yeah, you can check it out. Ron and Don Sit what is it? Well, it's a sit-down with you and me and Don. We're going to talk about your real estate journey. So maybe it's time to upsize, downsize, right-size. Maybe you're looking for an investment property and you just want to get some advice. We are here for you. We would love to sit down and help you get from here to there. Yeah, it's really cool. RonandDonSitDown.com. And also, uh, when you go to RonandDonSitDown.com, find any typos or something, let us know. Because you have let us know. And uh, we appreciate that, you guys. Also, thanks to Mike Kane for doing all the photography on it. It is super cool. And if you need a great photographer, uh, just give Mike Kane a Google. Coming up on episode 140, a lot of kids getting ready to go back to school. So we're going to talk about micro-schooling and a Northwest legend, one of the great broadcasters, one of our mentors, uh, passed away last night. So we're going to talk about him. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. I've been doing... Some online dating. Aha! Uh-huh. And I haven't been online dating a long time. I had met someone uh, a number of years ago that I liked, and, and we tried to connect. We tried to make a relationship happen. It would stop. It would start. It would start. It would stop. And then finally, uh, that was it. it and was then you were finished. practically engaged with this uh, JBLM nurse or, or soldier uh, that was abroad at the time. So that happened. Yeah. If you don't know about that, I think that's episode 131 where uh, I got catfished by a girl for about four months. So anyway. or, or a guy, whatever. Yeah, if you want to check that out. So I, 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 I haven't been online dating in a while. So I, I, I'm on, I'm on two different apps. I'm on the Bumble app and the, in the Tinder app. You're swiping left, swiping right. And the Bumble app, uh, and Ron, you know this better than I do. The Bumble app, that's where women select you, right? Is that what that is? Well, it's, uh, it's some group of women that I think actually used to work for the Tinder group. So match. Dot com owns most of the website. So oh, when you yeah. think, so Match, Tinder, like uh, all, plenty of fit, like I, I don't remember all of them, but they own a whole constellation of these apps. Okay. And so there were some women that worked at that group and they thought, you know what, we could do this better because the fatal flaw here is if you are a woman, yeah. you get bombarded okay. uh, with messages from guys. And so their twist on the whole thing was we will swipe, a, swipe away just like normal, but when you match, Match, the woman has to make the first move yeah. so that a, a woman doesn't get like 7,000 emails into her uh, match.com inbox in the first 24 hours. Yeah. So that was the wrinkle. So if you match with a, a woman on Bumble or a woman matches with you, she has to make the first move. And once she makes the first move, then you can message back. And, and forth. then on Tinder, it's more interactive and people say it's not a hookup place, but every woman you see on there says no hookups. Which means probably everyone's hooking up. I would say that the whole dating universe is, <laughs> is hookups. But it's different during COVID, right? Like, and even during COVID, when it all started, people did not want to meet. They just wanted to talk. And now what I'm noticing, people want to meet. But you're sitting six feet away from each other. And then you have mask on. And then you take the mask off. And this is what happened to me the other night. I'm sitting there 
with a girl who kind of looked like her picture. We're sitting at a picnic table, and we're we're six to eight feet apart. You're like you have lovely eyelashes. What's that? Because she has a mask on. Yeah, and so anyway, her pictures look great online, and then I, and then at some point, as we were talking, you can't really understand each other. And then and then the the wait person came out. So I think he gave us permission. Were we allowed to take our masks off? So we take our masks off. Uh oh, what happened? And you know I'm trying like hell to be more enlightened, right? <laughs> I am. What I got, happened? I got a lot of work to do on myself, and I understand that, and I get it, and I've been I've been trying to do this work, and and the more work I do, the more work there is. Right, to do. It's, that, it's a never ending project. That's all. That's all. It's I like need. a home improvement project. <laughs> Keep on ripping out the so, studs. So I look, and I feel horrible about this, but I, I look up, and 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 my first thought is, how the hell do I get out of here? Why? And, and, and I've learned, don't go to dinner. Just have a coffee or have a beverage. I don't drink, but I, if someone will ask me to go to a bar or something, they want, they want to have a beverage. People get really pissed, though, when they order a beer and you don't order a beer with them. I understand. So uh, you understand, I don't understand that. It's like I, and, then you, and, then, and then you're grilled about why you're ordering mineral water or whatever it is. So anyway, we're sitting there. She's having a beer. I'm having a non-beer. whatever. And then the mask comes off, and I'm like, huh. Bad teeth? What was it? The the teeth are all different shades. There's there's been like six, seven different dentists in there at different points in her life doing different things. And they all had different ideas about how her chompers should look when it was all said and done. And they were not on the same page. That was a problem. These dentists were just not... I I think once you have a dentist and you're in flow with that dentist... And this is from someone that had to have a lot of major uh, dental work in my life. Uh, My whole family has. It's hereditary, I think. So, So... if, if you if you my guy is Dr. Richard Ansong, and by the way, he's awesome. If you need a great dentist, uh, and Black Lives Matter, so do black businesses. He's African American. Dr. Richard Ansong, look him up. He's fantastic, you guys. Yeah, your teeth look great. Or, or reach out to me. So, so hold on. So, so are you are you would you would you squash a potential date just for the teeth? I, well, I was trying not to look at the teeth. I'm like, look at something else. And so I'm like, okay, then I'll pivot and I'll look at her mustache. So I'm looking, and it's a dark mustache, and I'm. Ooh. Like, does does she? And maybe she has the dark mustache, knowing that the teeth are fifty shades no, of time out, time out, time like, out. You know time what? Is it maybe just he'll some, stare at my mustache, on. and he won't be staring at my fifty shades of weird teeth. Is it just a little peach fuzz? It's one of the. It's one of. Or those, is it like visible from it's across one of the those room. things? Where and there, it was stubble. It's a mustache stubble thing, and you just know at the end of the night if you ended up. Kissing at some, and, and right now, kissing is a couple of years down the road with COVID 19. That's not happening. So, so you just know. I remember my dad, who's a truck driver, when I was a very little boy, a little boy, he'd want us to kiss him on the, on the cheek when he was in his, 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 his lazy boy going to sleep at night, 12 beers in. He'd want you to kiss him on the cheek before you went to bed. And that was a signal for him to get up. Hey, dad, you're passed out. Go to bed. So we kiss him on the cheek. And, and he would have this incredible stubble when we, it was like that. It was a mustache well, okay. like that. So I'm going to let, I'm, me, let I'm, me push back for one minute. Sitting, let me finish. Let me push then back I'm for one minute. Let me finish. Okay, okay. Okay. Let me push back. Okay. I know you don't issue. have the greatest eyes. There's another issue. Do, are you zooming in with the pinch motion on your phone to these pictures? Because 
I don't think she can hide that on the pictures. Yeah, because I went back and I looked, and her mouth was closed in all the pictures. She has seven pictures. Every everybody like, knows like, if they like, are. How did I miss that? And then her mouth was closed in all the pictures. Everybody knows if there's no smile shot that you pass. I didn't know that. You have, I'm gonna write this down. No smile. No. no if date. there's not one picture okay, no with a smile, no smile. Then you pat. That means the teeth are jacked up. Right. This has happened to me as well. No smile. Then beautiful date. girl. What happened? Uh, teeth were jacked up. Okay. I tried to get over it. I couldn't get over it. it was, over. I, was, I was down the road. So long story. And so, do enlightened people like do enlightened men go out with women well, that on. have jacked up teeth? You should have seen the mustache. In the photos, unless they were clearly filtered or photoshopped. You know what? I went back and I looked in one. In one photo, there was kind of a mustache. And I think I was in denial because then I compared it to some of the other photos. And I didn't see the mustache. Here's what you do. But it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear in one of the photos there there was a mustache. Here's the rule of thumb. Write this down. Find the worst picture on someone's profile. Okay. They look in real life twenty percent worse than that. Yeah, that's the god honest truth. <laughs> and so do I. And so do you. So do I. Yeah. Whatever the worst picture is on the profile, okay. Because everybody has that one picture where they look great. Yeah, and and it can be from a wedding six years ago, yeah. or just the camera just happened to hit you at the right angle with the right light, and and you look great that day. So everybody has that shot. Yeah. Everybody has the travel shot where you're so small that you can't see anything. But you're putting your finger on the top of the Egyptian pyramid, right? So everyone, everyone does. does, does everyone that. has the yeah. hiking shot, right? Uh, where Rattlesnake Ridge is in the background. You sure. can't really see him. Mailbox Peak. I wonder if there's mail in there. You got a yoga shot in there. Yeah. But then there's going to be the worst shot of the group. Back it off 10 to 20%. Okay. That's how they really look. So this kind of is your fault. Okay. And then finally, I drank my seltzer water really quick, and I could not get her to drink her beer fast enough. And she was having such a lovely time. She told me she's laughing and giggling. And I, at, at one point, I wanted to reach over and just do because she got up to go to the bathroom. I was just going to push the beer over. Dude, you were so in- I could get So I could get out. And then here's my question. No, Libby you- Dankman, who used to be the producer of the Ron and Don show on Terrestrial Radio. Shout out to Libby. She said what she would do. She said, you, you, owe no, you don't owe anyone anything. And I bought that beer over there, so I should be able to spill it, right? Anyway, Libby would say, when she got up to go to the bathroom, that's when you get up and leave. I can't do that. No, here's the thing. And I don't do that out of enlightenment. I just do that out of uh, constant Catholic guilt that I'm going to carry for the rest of my life. Here's the thing. You are a real estate professional. Yeah. At any moment on one of your listings, you might need to leave ASAP. Right. There could be a water meter that went off. That's right. You could have... Do water meters go... I mean, uh, there are, uh, what, a water alarm. What is a water... Water leak. There's a, a water leak. What's a water meter sound like? There's, there's, exactly. <laughs> you got to go investigate that water meter. You got a water leak. Okay. There could be a deal going down. Right. You got a form that you missed the deadline on. Yeah. There are... Which is probably true. Which is probably true. You can just, at any moment, okay. oh my God, you text me, Yeah. you give me like the code yellow, I'd yeah. send you a text and you got something to do. Then what do you do when they text you later and they say they had a great time, they'd like to see you again? Do well, you then just, now, the, here's a different, a different story. Or no. should you be, you say, should, should you be no, no, no. kind and honest and... You, and you, you say, um, you seem like a lovely person, I, I wasn't feeling a romantic connection. You just, just say move that. on. Yep. Okay. 
Unless you feel like you could really help. Like I, I went on a, a online date one time where the woman was very, very sweet. And at the end of it, I just said, can I just give you, I go, I don't, I don't think there's a romantic connection here. Advice. I said, can I give you like an unsolicited tip here? And she goes, yeah. And I go, man, you're like leading with your ex-husband for the first half hour, like yeah. straight out of the gate. Yeah. I was like, you might want to save that yeah. for a while back. Like it, it, you come across as you're still really embroiled yeah. in your marriage, in your divorce. And I said that, you know, just consider that for the future. Yeah, I was on a, another date and the woman told me, because I said, how do you get along with your co-parent? I think it's an important question. And she said, you know, after the cops were called and I had to hit him across the face with my iPad, she goes, uh, it's been pretty smooth sailing since then. It's, it's the, I kid you not. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. We had multiple offers, $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Peter did. I moved over to Kitsap County across from Seattle, and it was becoming more difficult to manage the triplex so i thought maybe i should check with them about whether it would be a good time to sell when we first sat down they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood they had several suggestions on you know when we should go on the market what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market and because i lived over in kitsap county it was going to be difficult for some of the general contractor type things so i said well if you guys will do that i'm i'm ready to put it on the market so they took over when the landscape person didn't do a very good job in their opinion they came over and redid it (laughs) and they didn't charge me anything for that so I, i was very thankful for that we went on the market we had multiple offers we had one fella that offered fifty thousand dollars more than the asking price and in addition he had no contingencies so i jumped on that one the important thing to me was my son is in college and he was getting ready to go to the UW and I've been renting him one of my apartments so I needed to find a a replacement for him. Ron uh, basically did a check for the areas that I said I was interested in buying. He gave us a whole list of uh, properties that were available. He came with us Sunday morning and we looked at probably five different places, made an offer on one, but didn't get that one, made an offer on a second one and did get that one. And uh, it was just, it was a very smooth process. I would very much work with them again. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, episode 140 of the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you as we head towards 600,000 uh, spins of the Ron and Don Show. We so appreciate that. Also, don't forget to get signed up with the newsletter. It's a great way to stay in touch. In fact, Ron wrote something really cool 
for the newsletter this week. How can people reach out and get yeah, it's signed Yeah, it's at ronadonsitdown.com. We have a little link up at the top for newsletter, and you can put your information in there. So we just go to ronadonsitdown.com, and while you're there, poke around a little bit and look at our real estate stuff. There you go. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about one of the great radio legends who's also a mentor for Ron and myself, super kind, super nice to us, and I think uh, maybe the biggest voice when it comes to legends of the Pacific Northwest, and we're going to talk about him in a moment as he passed away last night. Uh, as he's beginning to turn 86 years of age. How about that? And also a great Windermere agent. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but he's a great Windermere agent. Um, so we'll talk about him. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about schooling, going back to school. Uh, it was interesting. I was reading uh, a case in Jerusalem where they sent kids back to school. In Jerusalem, they've done a really good job of dealing with COVID-19. In fact, they say in Jerusalem, it's one of the only big cities where they didn't have a lot of super spreading events. Super spreading events. One of the reasons why we see things happening in Florida right now, happening in Arizona and also in the Midwest, is people in the Midwest travel a lot during spring break to places like Florida and Arizona. And the connection with the Midwest, Arizona, Florida, and this huge outbreak that we're seeing right now, COVID-19, it's because people travel, they spread, they went to spring break. Uh, We see New Orleans right now, one of the only places where you had a super spreading event during Mardi Gras, and Louisiana right now is getting hammered again for the second time because of COVID-19. No super spreading events in Jerusalem until they sent kids back to school. Kids... Then, within a couple days, uh, they started testing some of the kids there, and they found out, even though the kids weren't real sick themselves, uh, even if they appeared to be asymptomatic, which a lot of children do, they were taking COVID-19 back home. Now, all of a sudden, mom, dad, grandparents, everything that we're all concerned about and sending our kids back to school, that's exactly what has happened in Jerusalem, and now... In some of the neighboring communities, they have outbreaks where they never had outbreaks before, all because of kids going back to school in COVID-19. Let me ask you this, because here's a trend. First, while we're recording this, the state of Washington just held a press conference that said, we do not believe that schools are going to be safe to return to in the fall. So that's now the public stance of the state of Washington. There's a trend going on online, and I want to explore it through this lens of sort of the the white privilege lens. It's called, the trend is micro-schooling. And so there's a guy on Twitter in the Bay Area just getting hammered this week, and his name is Jason Kalkanis. Um, He is a podcaster. He uh, sort of has this website where they have a group of investors that fund startups and those those sort of things, very uh, Bay Area guy. And so he took to Twitter, and he said he's looking for a, a teacher between a fourth grade and sixth grade teacher. And that he wants to start a micro school in his backyard for seven kids and that he is going to pay you. He's going to beat any salary that you've got. So you just come to him if you're an accredited teacher. They're going to pay you more. He's going to throw in a $2,000 Uber Eats gift card uh, for anyone that refers him to a great teacher. And that so he's got a group of families that are all going to be practice the same COVID safety. And they're all going to pitch in and pay this this teacher salary and so for the most likely it's going to be 18 to 25 grand per family 
to have a private schooling uh, in the backyard of this guy. I don't know if he has a little outbuilding or what in his backyard. And so he takes to Twitter to solicit for these applications and immediately starts getting hammered uh, by the Twitterverse of how privileged this is and this is like being the aristocracy and how dare him and what about everybody else that can't afford this and must be nice if you can just pony up uh, 25 grand. And so other people are jumping on there going, wait a minute, like how is this different than a private Montessori school or how is this different than in New York City there are families that pay a hundred grand for a private tutor uh, for their their kids, um, and there's private schools all over. Uh, I, I know people personally that pay fifteen to twenty grand for a private school. Uh, it's not for one teacher, but they send their kid to a private school. We have private schools here in Washington, and so this is bringing up a lot of issues for people that see this on social media. Of how dare you? If he makes the money. And he, he doesn't feel like he's a skilled teacher. Do you see anything wrong with them of pooling together some other families and they privately hiring their own teacher for micro school? Yeah, I think, I think there's a number of different things going on here, right? Because you're talking about privilege. And I'm standing over here as a guy with privilege. And even though I grew up in a house with four kids and my mom basically raised us. Uh, my dad was a truck driver and left. Still just because of the color of my skin and where I was born, I have privilege. I have white privilege. Okay. I get that. And I understand that I've worked really hard my whole life. I still do like this weekend. I'll be out working on some properties and I'll have friends that are out on boats. And you know what? I'm not in a position right now since losing my job on terrestrial radio. I have four jobs now. I'm working four jobs. And so are you, Ron. We're, we're, we work a lot. I work seven days a week. I'm not looking for anyone to feel sorry for me. Uh, I live in the basement of my house right now, and I rented out the tops. And I have done that for the last year and a half. Uh, just And then when COVID-19 happened, uh, I even live a lot smaller, right? And I drive an older vehicle, and I, I don't carry a lot of debt. Uh, and I don't have a lot of toys, and my son and I are minimalists, and we live very simply. Uh, and I try to put as much money away as I can right now because I'm an older dad and I'm concerned about what could happen. I've thought about doing this. And, and I would take some of the money that I've made working these four jobs and also the money in Airbnbs and renting things out and doing all that because the education of my son is very important. And so I've thought about uh, creating a schoolyard at my house uh, with kind of a micro bubble of parents and families uh, where we could do something like this. I, I think, and I think the difference for me, though, is I don't care who those kids are and where they come from, right? So if these were kids that uh, instead of going somewhere in the inner city or we've worked and, and helped with some of the kids at Cleveland and some of the other places, uh, it, it's not important to me. Well, what if you had one of these families that said, okay, this teacher, because you want the same teacher yeah. so that you're protected from COVID. If they say, hey, Don, it's going to be $125 grand for this school year to hire this teacher to pay their benefits and the whole deal. And so the other family's like, I can't afford my take, yeah. but I want to be a part. Well, think about this. There, there are older teachers out right now, and they're, they're not wanting to go back to work, and they're scared to death because of COVID. And some of them are older and their immune systems have been compromised. I'm all about teachers getting paid more. So if there's an opportunity for a teacher to get paid more, then good on them. If there's an opportunity for someone who has worked your hard, like it sounds like he has, and he's made some money and they can hire a teacher, 
Uh, just because you're a privileged child and you're older doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to get a good education, too. I think where we need to be careful here, though, and what I try to do is with the privilege that I have is I try to offset that in other areas. So, for instance, we have a colleague by the name of Diane Terry. She does something every year called Youth Care, uh, and she raises a lot of money to make sure that kids and these are not children of privilege, that these are kids that need food, they need education, they need clothes, they need pencils, they need help. And so that was something she invited uh, all her realtor friends to jump on board with that today. And so this morning, I jumped on board with that. I immediately jumped on board because that's an opportunity to help a child that maybe I can't directly impact, but maybe indirectly by writing a check, I can take some of the money that I've made and give toward youth care. So is so, there an obligation if you know that you're privileged and if you wanted? I, I don't see a problem with microschooling. I think morally, I think morally, you, you, I, I, more, all I can do is answer for me. I can just answer for this one person standing over here. Yes, for me, morally, there is an obligation when you have privilege. Uh, I think there is a, a, I think there is an obligation. And my son has privilege just by the neighborhood that we live in, the school, the teachers, the access that we have to things that other kids in other neighborhoods don't have access to. And that's why you and I have worked hard. We, we, we don't believe, we didn't start believing Black Lives Matter a year ago. You and I have lived this, and you and I have lived in places where we were minorities, where we grew up in New Mexico, minority. When I lived in Los Angeles, in South Central Los Angeles, minority. When you and I lived in Oakland, because we could afford to live in San Francisco, we were certainly minorities there. And then even in the times that we have spent in youth prisons, and the times that we have spent being big brothers, to, and I was a big brother to a child of color for eight years, and you did something very similar. Black Lives Matter isn't new to me. The Major Taylor Project isn't new to me. Uh, solid ground. When Charlie and Lyles was killed by those officers, uh, we, 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 we raised money, and we raised awareness for what was happening in solid ground. So why I love to see the white community now, you can drive through Queen Anne, and you can see signs that say, hey, Black Lives Matter. I hope those Black Lives Matter a year from now or two years from now. And if they matter, are we then willing to take our resources and our time and our energy and our money and go into those communities and spend time with the kids of Cleveland, for instance? Because when, uh, and without going into the whole Cleveland story, you, you, you know, kids that go to Cleveland, they don't have that privilege. And are there going to be people that are stepping forward to help those kids get an education well, too? The real, that, that's on that's that that's on my moral compass. And, and for me, I say right. yes. But I can't point to others. I can't point to you, and I can't point to this guy in California who I don't even know because I don't know the things that he's doing behind the scenes, like Diane Terry does, to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to help another. No, that's fair. I just think no privilege, it, so. you know there are millions of school students in America, and. It is unsafe to go to school. I believe that. What is the solution? Um, for this guy with the resources, it's to go hire an independent teacher and have his own school. So, I, And I don't fault him for wanting to do that. I get the logic behind that. But for the other you know, 10 million students or whatever it is in America whose parents can't afford to do that, 
I don't know. Like, I believe that every child, regardless of the income of your parents, deserves to get a decent education. I just believe that. I think that that is proven to be one of the biggest levers of upward mobility in the world. And I was just talking with a friend of mine last night. When you think worldwide, to me, the lowest hanging fruit worldwide is the education of girls. Worldwide, if you go to Afghanistan and Iraq and That's Iran right. Right. and Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa and everywhere in the world, if you educated girls, um, the world would be a better place. If we had great education oh, and for if girls, more women were in charge, more women in women government, more women in power, yes, absolutely. And so, th- th- I this, believe this that the Black Lives Matter movement wouldn't be happening right now without women. Right. And yeah. so, my point being is. I get the backlash on this. I don't think this guy's a supervillain for wanting to do it. I don't think he is either. But I, I also see the point of every person's like, must be nice, bro. Must be nice to be a Silicon Valley uh, angel investor and be able to afford this. Meanwhile, me and my family, we're working three or four jobs, and we can't afford that. What do I do with my children? See, and I, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with the it must be nice, bro. And then I saw a guy last night saying, look what I did with my stimulus money. And he went out and he bought all these toys and he was displaying these toys in his backyard. Uh, and he thought it was funny that he was getting this over on the government because I was able to take this stimulus check and, and go buy something I really didn't need. Uh, or for people that are just sitting at home collecting checks that don't need checks, take those checks, rip them up or take those checks and send them back or take those checks and give them to Diane Carey and youth care, right? Or uh, what if this guy said, I'm going to take another $125,000 and hire another teacher in another neighborhood that doesn't look like mine, and I'm going to make sure that there's six or seven other kids that don't have the privilege that mine does, and I'm going to try, try to create a schoolhouse for them too. I think that that would be cool. That would be fair. That would be awesome. And who knows? Uh, maybe this guy will do something like that. I don't know his heart, uh, and I don't know his checkbook, so... Anyway, hey, don't go anywhere. Coming up, I know a man's heart. Uh, his name is Pat O'Day, or it was, no longer with us. The greatest disc jockey in Seattle history? Absolutely. And a great friend of ours, and a great friend to the city, and someone would be dearly missed. Uh, his son Jerry had posted last night on Facebook page that his dad had slipped away. Uh, no longer with us at the age of 86. You probably know his voice if you've lived here in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. If you haven't, you might know him from all the Shadle commercials because uh, Pat fought addiction and fought it well and helped a lot of people over the years and helped someone like me too. So we'll talk about Pat O'Day, no longer with us, gone, but certainly not forgotten by a lot of radio and TV and media folks, but also by a lot of fans. And if you love the Hydros and you love Seafair, then you love Pat O'Day. We'll talk about him next right here on the Ron and Don Show. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. We heard your plea. Now you have three. Three episodes of the Ron and Don Show drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. All right, you guys, episode 140 as we finish up here. And thanks for listening. Thanks for giving us great lives. We really appreciate you. And also, uh, thanks for going to the new website. You can look online and see all the people that have been checking out ronandonsitdown.com. And if you know of anyone that's uh, beginning a real estate journey and we could help or be a part, 
uh, please share the website with them and then they can reach out to us and we can sit down with them virtually during uh, COVID-19. So uh, Pat O'Day, uh, we found out from Jerry O'Day, his son, that Pat has passed away. Uh, Pat was a legend here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he was on KJR forever. And then he went on to own stations, program stations. Of course, he's the, vo- the voice of the hydros each and every year during Seafair. And uh, he then went on to be a great Windermere agent up in the San Juans, had a had a golf outing each and every year to raise money for charities that he cared about. And uh, Pat O'Day, uh, gone at the age of just about 86, I believe. Yeah, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, for his Concerts West thing. But I was going to say, back to the radio thing, just to give people perspective in the way they rate radio uh, personalities. So in today's world, on the actual radio dial, if you had... 5% of the radio listeners at any one time, you would be doing really well. If you had 7%, you would probably be number one in your day part for the mo- for most day parts. Pat O'Day at his peak had 41% of available radio listeners were listening to his show. 41%. Mm-hmm. It is 10 times bigger than virtually any show that I know of today. Sometimes, like, if there's a Mariner game and they were playing in the World Series, there would probably be a 12 or a 15 share. Uh, maybe you would no, get a little it'd higher. Be more, it'd be higher. It'd be, no, in the World Series, it'd be higher than that. It'd be more than that. Much more. You know, the, the yeah. Super Bowl numbers for the Seahawks would be a very big number. Yeah. This is just on, like, a regular Tuesday. Pat O'Day would be on the air, and he would get a 41 share. He might get 35 to 41 share. It's it's unfathomable of how dominant he was here. Then he started Concerts West. And if you remember, um, one of the first acts that he helped to manage the concerts on the West Coast was a guy I like to call Jimi Hendrix. And there's a picture. I have a, a poster of Jimi Hendrix on the wall in Ronadon Studios right now. And we had the privilege at times of getting private behind-the-scenes stories of some of the antics that happened uh, in, those, in those times. And Pat has a great book. Book that he wrote about his life and times uh you know led zeppelin Jimi hendrix all of them when they came through seattle and other cities on the west coast it was pat o'day that was running those shows in in the sock hops if you remember spanish castle magic a Jimi hendrix song pat o'day was running that and he remembers he told me the story he remembers the day that someone blew out an amp uh, that was going to play at one of these sock hops and a lanky teenager walked up to him and said, I have an amp uh, that I can lend you, but on the condition that I get to sit in, that guy was Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix went and got his amp and Man. brought it back and they used the amp for the Pat O'Day show. Um, the, his part in rock and roll history is cemented by the fact that he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then tell us about the Edgewater stories the beatles pat o'day was a part of that too and could you really go to the edgewater and rent a fishing pole and fish out the windows and catch fish and did they really find a fish in the beatles bathtub i don't know about the fish in the bathtub but yeah you could fish right off of the balcony there there's pictures of pat o'day with the beatles when they were here uh, doing their show he would set up the concert for that um the, the thing that i always found great for me personally about Pat O'Day is you and I broke into radio in a very unconventional way. I don't have a college degree. I never have. I don't have a broadcasting license from any college or any institution. We just sort of did it. And Pat O'Day at one point reached out to us and he said, I want to take you guys to lunch 
at the Washington Athletic Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, wear a button-down shirt because there's a dress code, but meet me here on this day. And uh, you and I showed up at the Washington Athletic Club, checked in, there was a reservation, and Pat O'Day had flown his own private seaplane from the islands up in down Lawrence. to Seattle yeah. to have lunch with us. Mm-hmm. And he treated us as a peer. He wanted to talk shop with a couple radio guys, and he just liked our show. Mm-hmm. And he would have, he had specific pointers for our show. One of them that we never did, but it was, Ron and Don, you guys should tell a joke every day. The joke of the day. He yeah. said, it should, you should have the joke of the day. It crushes. Yeah. If people know you're going to tell a joke, and he, he had a bunch of jokes. And we're like, Pat, I don't know if that works on News Talk, but it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, but the fact that Pat O'Day, who at the time was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, had, and had still all, is. And already had done all that stuff. The fact that he treated me as a peer... Um, when we were relatively young in the business, really boosted my confidence as a human being, as a guy in this profession. Because I, I had the imposter syndrome for a, a, a number of years, mm-hmm. where it was like, I guess I'm in radio. Like nobody told me I was allowed to do this. I'm just sort of faking it till I make it. And I had the attitude of like, yeah, I can do that. Can you do a show? Yeah. Do you know how to edit audio? Sure. Like, I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. I was just like, I'm, I'm sure I can figure it out. And so for Pat to validate me and you was very meaningful to me and to be treated like a peer from a person of that stature. And then he would go above and beyond where he's like, hey, will you come play in my Pat O'Day golf tournament? I want you to be a celebrity. And I was like, Pat, I'm not a celebrity. And he's like, you, you are when it comes to my golf tournament. And so he put us up with a room up on the islands and we played in his golf tournament numerous times and he, he always went out of his way to recognize us and to give us an attaboy and to reach out and just tell us when he noticed we were you know top five in a in a book he would shoot us an email or a text or a phone call or we'd see him in the building recording commercials for one of the various things that he endorsed or was part ownership in and so I, I always appreciated that because not everybody does that. And, and radio is a very egotistical game. Uh, there are a lot of guys that they need you to lose for them to win. And, and Pat always felt like if we won, that in some way he won. Yeah. And I, and I love the fact, too, that he was very open about his battle with addiction. Uh, and there's a lot of people in the rock and roll lifestyle and in broadcasting and in media. And I'm one of those that has battled addiction. Um, and just some of the things I get a little misty out about it. Some of the things that he shared with me in private, um, just gave me the courage to be brave and to be courageous because he was brave and he was courageous, uh, to the day he died. So, and he tough, I mean, he had a brain tumor. I walked with him after he had that brain. He had a brain operation. Yeah. Uh, we did the the brain a walk together. Pat and I did. Yeah. Um, so brave guy, fearless guy, um, legendary broadcaster, but a really good guy. A good good man. Like you can be a, a you can be in a hall of fame in a lot of different fields and still be an a hole. Yeah. Pat O'Day was a, a legendary hall of famer and also a good human being. Yeah. Uh, Connected with Jerry online, and was able to read some of the things that some of the other great radio legends uh, wrote, whether it be B.J. Shea or whether it be Bob Rivers, 
Charlie from Charlie Time Mary passed away uh, this year, so a lot of people miss Charlie too. Um, but it's it's interesting because the stories that we're sharing aren't unique. Everybody felt like Pat O'Day was a mentor. Everybody got those notes and those emails and those attaboys. Uh, uh, everybody uh, was loved by him. And this is what he told his son. He said, when I'm gone, uh, don't feel sad for me. I had a great life. I had a great run. I lived my life with my pockets ripped out. And I got to hang out with Jimmy. And I got to hang out with Elvis. And I got to bring the Beatles to the great Pacific Northwest. And oh, did he love Seafair? Did he love the Hydros? Did he love being on Channel 7? And did he love the San Juan Islands? And uh, showing people properties up there too. So anyway, we will miss Pat O'Day. But again, don't feel sorry for him. According to his son Jerry, because he wants all of us to know that he had a great, great Thanks for giving us great lives. Thanks for listening to episode 140. He's Ron. I'm Don. If you need to get in touch with us, rondonsitdown.com. All right? You keep your head up. You keep your shoulders back. That's what Pat O'Day would tell you to do, right? And uh, we'll see you next time. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.